Welcome to the program, Woke Up, where we amplify the voices of those whom today's critical social justice movement and woke ideology have seduced. They realized they were being led to a place they did not want to be and woke up to tell their story. Now the host, Michael Ballantyne. Hello, good afternoon. I'm Michael Ballantyne, your host of today's program, and we have on the air today a, a very special guest and a, a new friend of mine. Her name is Alana uh, Podek, and she comes from Chicago, my hometown. Uh, she's now living in a city right next to where I grew up and went to high school. And uh, you know, as we all know, today in uh, in America, there's so many conflicts in our culture, and uh, voices need to be heard, and voices need to be amplified, and there's a lot of tension between people on the left and people on the right. Right. And the supposed oppressed classes and the oppressor classes and the division in terms of race and gender and feminine and masculine and people that are heterosexuals and homosexuals. And it seems like we're at war with one another. And so what we want to do is we want to amplify voices. We want to have the opportunity for BIPOC people or transgender people to our LGBTQ community to, to have their voices heard. And so I'm really excited about having Alana on the air and uh, be, being here today because she was raised uh, in the Chicagoland area, went to university, University of Illinois. And I just want to ask you a few questions, Alana, to start. Uh, you Tell us about your childhood, how you were raised and what your process was in terms of entering into the social justice movement. Sure. And by the way, thanks so much for having me on, Michael. It's great to connect with you. So I grew up um, in the suburbs of Chicago and definitely a very liberal area. And the school system that I went to was very liberal all the way from, you know, preschool, <laughs> all the way from like, you know, little kid to high school. And, you know, growing up, everyone around me was Democrat, my family, super liberal. And I just grew up kind of having this negative impression of Republicans and people on the right. And I had this idea that, you know, that they were all racist, that they were all, you know, just the complete elitist kind of people. And I remember in high school, I really started to notice that, you know, I mean, in high school, there was a there was definitely a big culture around celebrities a lot. Like I noticed that in high school, you know, people would talk about TV shows, people would talk about, you know, people people were having, you know, just the, the normal high school stuff, like experimenting with alcohol and sex, drugs. And there was there was a lot of um influence from kind of the mainstream pop culture, just mainstream pop culture in, in my high school. But at that time, I wasn't really that into all of that kind of stuff. But when I went to college and being on my own for the first time, I noticed that, you know, the, the culture in college is very left leaning. It seems kind of rare to be a conservative or Republican in college because the way that the education is, sorry, the way the education system is set up there and the way that the social um, environment is, is like, it's kind of like an indoctrination center at this point where it kind of forces people to see everything through race and through sex and through oppression. And I just noticed that, you know, I mean, when I, when I was in high school, I never really paid too much attention to race. But in college, I noticed that all of a sudden, anytime I would come back from college, I noticed that I was slowly getting more and more angry and more and more offended and more and more indoctrinated, I guess. Sorry, that was a long answer. <laughs> and, and you mind uh, asking more or less, uh, what time frame was this in terms of what, what years? Uh, yes. Yeah, like so, personal question, but. 
Yeah. So I started college in 2008 and I graduated in 2012. In 2012. And, and then you became quite an activist too. So maybe you can tell us about what attracted you and what your involvement was with uh, social justice activism. So I would say that the main area of my activism was more more in veganism. Veganism was a really big part of my life from like 2013 to like 2018. So for pretty much most of my 20s, I was a complete vegan social justice warrior type of person. And I was very aggressive, very angry all the time, very um, easily offended. I didn't, I pretty much lost my sense of humor at that point. And the thing about veganism is that it's all focused on oppression. Like from a vegan perspective, you're basically fighting for the most oppressed species on the planet, the animals who can't, you know, speak for themselves and everything. And so you kind of get very passionate. And when you're living that way, it kind of gives you a bit of a superiority complex where you think you're better than everyone because you're doing this thing that's supposed to be good for the planet and good for the environment. And like, you know, <laughs> there's there's a lot of um, contradictions in veganism. You know, on one hand, they're all about promoting like peace <laughs> for everyone on the planet. But at the same time, they're very judgmental and they're very aggressive in how they deliver mm. their message. <laughs> And through veganism, I started to get more involved with social justice causes towards people, you know, like a lot of racial issues and sexist issues. They all kind of come in a package together, I realized, like veganism, feminism, and I guess just anti-racism, you know, like all that stuff kind of comes in a package and it comes from one side of the political spectrum is what I realized. Yeah, it seems like analyzed and studied our culture and the history and what's really gone on in university campuses the last 10 to 20 years is this uh, dialectic, the oppressed and the oppressor. And it, it filters in everything in the humanities and all through the university system. And it's really, as you were saying, some sort of an indoctrination. And you see that played out in, you know, radical feminism or the critical theories or queer theory or gender theory, or as you're saying, veganism or, uh, and it's always to pit groups of people against one another uh, to create this conflict, uh, victimization status. And I was wondering if, like, if you could expound a little bit about some of the things that you notice as a, as a, as a, as a race activist and, uh, and a vegan activist and how that was affecting you and your personality, your friends and, and uh, what were some of the things going on on a psychological and emotional level for you personally? Sure. Oh, my gosh. There's so much I could say about that. There's a lot of like, what's the word? Um, intersectionality <laughs> between like the veganism stuff and the anti-racism stuff. I remember like, because I mean, even within each, even within each subgroup, like even within veganism, you come across people who there, there's a lot of infighting within the vegan community. And a lot of it is based on racism. It's kind of funny when you wow. zoom out of it. But yeah, I mean, I noticed that, you know, a lot of people in the vegan movement, they would compare 
animal agriculture to like slavery. And then I noticed that like, you know, that that comparison within the vegan movement, you had people who were, you know, you had black people getting offended about that comparison. And then you also had people who were like, it's like, it it all gets to be such a mess, because everyone is fighting over what is the most politically correct way to deliver the message. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of weird layers in, in those movements. But anyway, to get back to your question, though, basically, when you are a vegan, or when you are a social justice warrior, you learn to put people in categories based on their race and based on, you know, their job or their behavior or where they're from, their their gender, you know, you learn to put people in boxes. And when someone challenges the category that they're in, it, it becomes kind of like, I don't know, how, I really don't know how to, I, I need to figure out how to explain this better. But it's almost like, you know, when you see people who are not white, for instance, you immediately start to assign all of these characters characteristics to them like oh they must have had a hard life or like oh they're oppressed in America or like oh they're you know you you it's very hard to like pick up new nuances in people's personalities when you are so used to like categorizing everyone and depending on who you are you're gonna start to change your thoughts to fit the box that you're supposed to be in you know so for instance like I remember in those movements you had a lot of white people who dealt guilt for being white Mm. you you had people who were you know they saw themselves as white men and the box that they have white men in is like oppressor, victimizer, colonizer, you know, like the, the person who's causing so much harm to everyone. And so like it for the white men in those movements, they see themselves with through that lens, and then they can't think of themselves in any other way than like, oh my gosh, like I'm the reason why all these people are suffering and I need to apologize for being white. So it turns into this like massive brainwashing operation where everyone just they can't see past the box that they put themselves and other people in. And so for me, you know, because I'm Indian and a woman, I kept on finding situations. I tried to see racism in places where there wasn't any at all. I would get very offended over nothing because I could not see out of my box that I had put myself in. And it's a very gradual thing. Like it happens so slowly that you don't even realize that you're seeing life through this way. But you know, after a certain point, you just realize that you feel so heavy all the time. You feel so angry all the time. You feel so offended all the time. And I think at that point, people either snap out of it just because they physically can't handle seeing life through that worldview anymore, or they get deeper into it. And it has a lot of bad consequences to go even deeper into it. (laughs) You know, you had mentioned uh, intersectionality, which is Mm -hmm. a term that was foreign to my generation when I was uh, in university and all stemmed from a paper by Kimberly Crenshaw on mapping the margins where she analyzed the difference in the judicial punishment between African-Americans and and white people, and especially as it pertained to domestic abuse. And she had an interesting paper. So it was definitely thought provocative. However, that has like stemmed into some whole different animal that has infiltrated all sorts of universities in just one generation. And now in intersectionality is a a buzz term. And like you, your intersectionality is a a BIPOC email (laughs) and you, you've been oppressed by the system. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, uh, can you tell uh, our audience how you feel oppressed by the system as uh, a BIPOC female? (laughs) 
Well, I don't feel oppressed at all anymore at all. But but at, but at a certain point in my life, I definitely felt like I felt like every problem I had in my life was because of the system and not anything to do with my personal decisions or like my personal flaws and mistakes that I've made. And so, you know, I think so much of getting out of that mindset is just taking accountability for your life and taking more responsibility over your own choices. And so, you know, at this point, I don't see myself as oppressed at all. I see myself as actually <laughs> extremely privileged and very blessed to be in the situation I'm in, to come from the circumstances I come from. Like, I mean, to be in America, is just such a blessing. You know, I think that there's a lot of like, it's weird, because you know, you can you can have any experience of life that you want, really, like, that's something that I learned through the whole social justice warrior mindset phase in my life was that your beliefs about the world and your beliefs about yourself really shape the experiences that you have. And, and it shapes the way that you move through life and the way that you um, communicate with people. And so to break out of that mindset, it changes every part of your life. It changes the way you see people. It, it helps you to not internalize everything so much and to just kind of see the the lightheartedness of life again. I think that a lot of the social justice warrior mindset is like you almost kind of feel this inherent resentment towards life itself. Whereas like now I feel very grateful for life. So it's kind of just like, yeah, I don't really see myself as oppressed anymore. <laughs> yeah. So in that process, undoubtedly, you had like-minded friends, like-minded views, worldview. And there's definitely probably a some kind of sociological friendship, a commonality that you're in this together, that, <laughs> uh, that and you kind of maybe, I'm just thinking group dynamics, uh, I've never been in in the social justice movement directly as an ad, as an advocate, but I was wondering, like, w what kind of sociological pressures did you feel with other like-minded social justice warriors? Pressures of conformity or speech or things like that that I've heard is pretty prevalent in 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 these different circles. That's such a good question. That's such a funny question because I feel like that I can already like think back on so many times where like people would be so afraid to say something because they would like you automatic because it's like, you know, being in that mindset, you're so worried about offending people and it really makes it hard to express yourself in a lighthearted way. It's like you're overanalyzing everything you say around those people. <laughs> like I just I even remember, you know, being at a festival, like an outdoor food festival one day. And in our group of friends, um, there was a guy and he went to go buy a shirt at this other food stand. And like the shirt had said, Kings recognize Queens. And he bought the shirt and then he came back and he showed the shirt to us. And like, there were two girls in the friend group and they were like, that's such a sexist shirt. <laughs> like that, like queens don't need kings to recognize them. <laughs> it's just like, it's so funny thinking back on it. But so he went and returned the shirt. So I feel like there's, there's so much like pressure when you're in friendships like that to always say the right thing, to always do the right thing, to like never offend anybody that everyone is walking on eggshells all the time. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's so uncomfortable. You feel like you really can't be free in yourself in how you act. It's like every single thing you say has to like, I mean, I know it's not true for everyone, but the groups that I was part of and what I saw around me was that everyone had a guilty conscience all the time 
time and they would constantly be trying to like appease each other and you could never call anyone out for if you do call someone out you like you have to basically it's like for you to call someone out on their bad behavior they have to be doing something that you think is offensive to like oppressed groups but it's it's so hard to <laughs> it's honestly it's so hard to even describe it it's a very uncomfortable and awkward energy it, it seems like the joy joy in your own individual life <laughs> kind of disappears because of the of the group think or the group pressure to not offend anybody and you almost take on a persona that isn't even authentic i've heard it said oh i've got to be my authentic self but it seems like in some ways people begin to put on masks of inauthenticity did you have any pressures or experience that or observe that in, in in your own experience oh yes yes definitely i definitely felt it in myself and i saw it in everyone else too you know you you're right you really can't be authentic you can't be it's like you can't have your own thoughts like you have to have the correct emotions you have to have the correct feelings about something like you can't have your own personal experience of life and you can't talk about your own personal experience of life if it doesn't fit the boxes that you're supposed to be in so you know like if someone like when I was in that very oppressed mindset if I were to see someone who was black and say that they did not feel oppressed in America like rather than be curious about their opinions and their mindset and like get to know them on a personal level it's like it has to run through my filter of like oh that doesn't compute with like the box they're supposed to be in so get angry at them or just like call them names or you know reject them <laughs> you know it's very like it trains everyone to to just constantly have this like program running in their mind that like you know yeah you can't have and you know you you start judging your own thoughts all the time like i mean it, it just reminds me of everything we experienced with you know the covid stuff over the last couple of years and how like if you say one thing against the mainstream narrative you are completely demonized and i feel like that's what the social justice warrior movement really strives to do it kind of strives to create robots out of people to get everyone to think the same to have the same opinions, to have the same expectations of other people, to like, just to be the same. And, you know, when you're doing that, you're basically conditioning yourself out of your own personality, you're conditioning yourself out of your own God given um, spirit, you know, it kind of removes your spirit in a lot of ways. And you're no longer an original free thinking person, you're very much on a conveyor belt of like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it seems like it uh, works counter to what the stated goals are of uh, people that are in the quote oppressed class, no matter what aspect of society, that the prevailing thought is that they're dehumanized, that they're not uh, fully members of society, that they're oppressed, that, that they need to be broken free and liberated in order to find their authentic self and uh, be, be liberated. And this goes along all of these critical theories and thoughts. And so it seems like in a way, it, instead of humanizing people to be their authentic self, there's a dehumanizing aspect, which is uh, counterintuitive, but it's also uh I think the fruit and the result is a diminishing of oneself and individuality. For instance, I am a white male. However, I don't speak on behalf of every white male. And you are a, uh, an Indian female that lives in America, an American Indian female. You do not speak on behalf of every single Indian female. Mm -hmm. And even though you might represent that 
particular demographic, you are still an individual with an individual volition and will and consciousness and dreams and broken dreams and intellect and a voice. And to put everybody in these boxes of groupthink seems to be actually dehumanizing of the individual human condition. I think that is so spot on. It's so true. It is very dehumanizing. It's very degrading. Like it's only from being on the other side that I can really see it for what it is now, you know, but, but I remember what it was like to think from the social justice mindset where it's very strange and it's very scary how it affects people. Like I know it's, it's like funny to to laugh about it, about the absurdities in that mindset. But when you really like think about where the end of that road goes, it's very, very scary. Like, I mean, if you look at what's happening right now in pop culture, I guess, you know, with Kyrie Irving or Kanye West or Candace Owens, you know, these people who kind of broke free from the matrix, so to speak, and like they're kind of in their own free mind. To watch what happens to people like that culturally is very scary. You know, the the people who the people who are brainwashed by the social justice warrior movement, they attack these people viciously. You know, I mean, I know that like Chase got rid of Kanye's account and there and you know, there's so many things that happen when you go against the program and it is very dehumanizing you you basically it's it's like a spiritual battle that you're that we're in pretty much it's like you can't speak what your soul feels and sees every day you have to be the perfect you know soldier for the government pretty much and like if you step out of line bad things happen to you and it's very it's degrading it's dehumanizing and it's very um scary and i mean yeah and and, and i noticed i noticed it when it happened to me me too that you know me expressing my newfound beliefs or my change in opinion from things I used to have in the past I've watched how some of my friends have reacted to me and like rejected me and have made me feel very dehumanized because it's like these people have known me for like my whole life and now all of a sudden they're so willing to reject me because I have this one opinion that doesn't line up with theirs and and it's like we see each other the same way like they think that my new beliefs dehumanize them whereas I think that they're dehumanizing me. So it's kind of like, I don't know, it's a very strange phenomenon. Yeah. Well, one of the couple of the goals of this program, uh, besides amplifying voices is, is uh, like young people that are idealistic. Uh, everybody wants to be an anti-racist because it's wrong racism and racism does exist in America and everybody wants diversity and equity and inclusion. We don't want to leave out anybody. We want everyone to have opportunities and be loved and a sense of belonging. And, but it just seems like this particular that you describe in, in an incredible video that you that you produced on your channel that I just really liked. You described it as a cult. I left the social justice warrior cult, and I was wondering if you'd like to maybe just talk about the idea of the cult aspects of it, and then for you as a very articulate, very intelligent uh, woman, the process that led you to those conclusions that, that this is led me to a place where I no longer want to be. And what was your pathway to getting a different worldview, a different perspective, uh, to maybe give hope to people that are considering adopting this lifestyle, where it might lead them. And then also, uh, you know, cults are strong and it's hard to leave because you have your support network, your friends, your sense of purpose, your identity. So much of your, your humanity is tied into it. And so like I can speak because I know a lot more about religious cults. It's very difficult to leave and, you know, you're not going to win an argument or a debate or anything like that. So 
what was internally happening to you on an emotional and psychological level that caused you to, was it an abrupt process that happened suddenly, or was it a, a long drawn out process? And to, to give hope to people and, and, and to stimulate their mind in a different way. Could you share that? Yeah, definitely. That's a really good topic. So I would say that for me, it really did start with leaving veganism behind. Veganism was very, a very big part of my life for so long. And Could you describe yeah. veganism real quick too, just for those that may not know exactly what that is? That would be maybe a good baseline. Yeah, for sure. So veganism is the belief that you don't need to eat any animal products in order to be healthy and that it's actually supposedly the most ethical way to live. So you don't eat meat, you don't eat dairy, you don't eat eggs, no animal products whatsoever, no honey. And you basically try to live as cruelty-free as of a lifestyle as possible. So you're eating fruits and vegetables and beans and nuts and seeds and plants and everything. And the idea behind it is that it's more ethical for the animals and it's supposed to be better for the environment. And it's also supposed, supposed to be better for your health too. And so being in your early 20s, which is what I realized a lot of people fall into veganism in their early 20s. You know, you have this very idealistic and you have a very idealistic worldview where you believe that, you know, this is the answer to everything. And so a lot of people in the vegan community are very cult-like. You know, you basically have to change so much about your relationships with other people in order to be part of the vegan movement. And, you know, not all vegans are like this. There's, there's definitely vegans out there who are more normal and who don't reject other people for not eating the same way. But what I found in the vegan community that I was part of is that it was pretty judgmental and it almost encouraged you to cut ties with family members if they were going to be serving meat or, you know, cut ties with people who don't see see animals the same way that you do and you basically make your entire life about this diet and you form all your friendships around it you get very passionate and after a while, <laughs> I started to have health issues. So, you know, and it was very frustrating for me because I thought that I was eating the healthiest diet in the world. I was totally convinced that this was the truth. And my entire life, I've always been very driven by truth. I want to know the truth about everything. And if something, if I feel like something is the truth, I will follow it to the end. <laughs> I will like dive really, really deep for as long as it proves to be the truth. And so, you know, growing up, I was vegetarian. Um, both my parents are Indian and, you know, vegetarianism is very popular in India. And anyway, so I went vegan in like around 2013, 2014. And, you know, through veganism, through being part of the vegan movement, you get really deep into the social justice warrior mindset cult. <laughs> and then eventually, in like 2018, I started to have some really big doubts about veganism because I was experiencing a lot of health issues. I was having just all kinds of gut problems. I was taking naps all the time, even though I thought that I was supposed to be on the healthiest diet and have all this energy. I was needing to take a nap every day. And like, I was noticing I was bloating a lot and it was really hard for me to hold on to weight. And I just noticed that my 
overall appearance started to look very sickly and I felt so weak and I was so confused and so frustrated because I really believed that was the truth about what you're supposed to be eating. And then eventually I came across stories from these vegan leaders in the movement about how they started eating meat and how it improved all these health issues for them. And so my entire worldview started to change. I went from thinking that eating animals is wrong to thinking that maybe it's not wrong if we actually need it for our health. And so to make that mental leap to go from eating animals is wrong to eating animals is right, it requires you to change your opinions on almost everything. (laughs) It's like actually kind of wild how like, you know, when you're living in a world where you think eating animals is wrong, then it it affects your morality on everything, (laughs) you know, but then now that when you when you think that eating animals is okay, and that it's maybe designed to be that way, it causes you to think about God, it causes you to think about natural order, natural design. And you kind of go like mentally, I started going down all these rabbit holes of like, okay, like if we're designed to eat meat, what else are we designed to do? What other beliefs have I had that maybe weren't true? Because obviously, I was so wrong about this. What else have I been wrong about? And so I basically had a mental breakdown. At the end of like 2018 and then 2019, I started eating animal products and my health improved. And I noticed that my emotional state improved as well, because I think a lot of the nutritional deficiencies cause a lot of emotional dysregulation. And I noticed that in the vegan community and in the social justice warrior community in general, there's a lot of emotional dysregulation. And I wonder how much of that is due to diet because so many of them are like very plant-based and vegan and they have all these emotional problems. And like, anyway, that's like a whole other side topic. But basically, (laughs) I had to question all of my beliefs at that point. And I slowly started to go on the other side. I started watching debates with people who used to trigger me. And I started to listen to that perspective more and just like test my triggers more until I basically switched to the other side completely. (laughs) So uh, what do you mean by the other side? Like uh, a more balanced worldview? I mean, because many people would be a vegan or vegetarian for health reasons. It seems like you were mostly for conscious sake. Uh, Are you talking about the diet issues or all all the other sociological issues that we're facing as a society as well? I think I just mean to go from being a social justice warrior liberal to now being more on the side of like, okay, there's a God, there's a natural structure to life, there's a design, there's, you know, like, I guess if you want to say to go from a godless worldview to one where there is God basically is what it comes down to, I think, you know, because without God, you base your morality on your emotions and on your feelings. And then with God, you base your morality on this thing outside of yourself. And so, you know, like the, the social justice warrior movement, it prioritizes emotions, whereas the non social justice warrior movement, it doesn't really prioritize emotions, it prioritizes more of like a moral code that yeah, I I guess that's what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, it does seem like in my experience with the social justice movement, the advocates that are strongest, the biggest revolutionaries, there's not even a thought of God or an idea that there is a creator or there is involvement in, uh, in the world affairs. And it's almost like we as a group become God, that we are going to eliminate racism and we're going to eliminate gender. We're going to 
make the planet so much better by our collective selves. And we're in this together and we are going to uh, burn down the old and we're going to make a new and we're going to create this utopia made in our image. It almost feels like versus there is a, a creator with a divine order that has set things up. Do you agree with that at all? Or, or is there a nuance to that that you would say? No, absolutely. That's 100% true. Like, you know, when you live your life based on your emotions and how you feel and what you desire, then you end up creating so much chaos and so much suffering for yourself and other people. And, you know, that's the main thing that veganism and because, you know, I, I mean, the reason why I went vegan was because of emotional stuff, you know, watching what happens to the animals, it gets my emotions riled up. And then you make an emotional decision because you feel emotional and you don't really think about, you know, you don't really think about logic as much. And then the other side, you know, if you're not prioritizing your your emotions, that means you're prioritizing something else. And I think that is God. So definitely agree with you. Now, as you've uh, described this movement as a cult, one of the things that in my studies of cultic behavior is it's next to impossible to bring logic or win an argument because people just get dug in, whatever the cult might be. And uh, in my experience and studies, one of the ways that people end up leaving, and most people end up leaving uh, the, the cults that they're part of, they and the main reason is they found uh, internal contradictions within the movement itself and what they were being taught they were doing and what they were, uh, and what they were part of in the end was producing something opposite of the idealistic notion of what they were giving their life's energy and their time and their, their faithfulness to. And they became fr increasingly frustrated. Mm -hmm. And uh, then ultimately they leave and they they get set free. And so I was wondering if you've noticed uh, some of the internal contradictions of the social justice groups that you've been part of that maybe might help people that are uh, advocates in, in one that may not be healthy uh, to, to, to begin to pursue ideas for themselves like like what kinds of specific things if you can think of any that that you've experienced oh yeah there's so many well for one i guess the main one that comes to mind is you know when it comes to racial issues you always hear this phrase amplify melanated voices <laughs> that's something that you hear a lot on the social justice warrior side of things they're always like amplify melanated voices or like, <laughs> listen to people of color but then when you have a person of color who's saying something on the opposite side, you know, like, you know, those people would never listen to Candace Owens and what she has to say. Those people are going to call black conservatives or, or conservatives who are not white. They're going to call those people Uncle Tom's and all kinds of like racist names and everything. And it's like, okay, major contradiction there. <laughs> or, or they've internalized their racism. <laughs> yeah, but they've internalized racism, right? It's like, oh my gosh. It's, I mean, the best is when- or Internalized have, oppression, I should say. I think that's the, the yeah. term that's used, so. Well, the best is when you have like a white person telling- a non-white person that they're like they're like a white supremacist or something like that they shouldn't like i don't know it's funny like i've been called a white supremacist before by a white person <laughs> and it's just hysterical kind of, i mean it's it's just very funny i mean you know 
So I would say like there's there's those contradictions. And then, of course, in like the vegan movement, there's some very obvious contradictions. You know, you have people who are saying that, you know, being vegan is all about compassion. But then these are the same people who are like screaming at other people for eating meat and calling them murderers and everything. So it's like so many contradictions. A lot of those movements are are very um there's a lot of projection involved in those movements <laughs> and it seems like it could lead to a certain level of uh, narcissism almost like i've got the truth my way this moral outrage to moral outrage and where you have all the answers you uh have you noticed that as well or oh yeah definitely definitely i mean i think and and it's hard to really um it's hard to pinpoint exactly when that happens in people because I feel like I feel like you know at the start of the social justice warrior journey you're very humble you know like when I first started learning about oppression I was coming at it from a place of like, oh, I don't know anything. These people seem to know more than I do. So I'm going to listen to what they have to say. But then as you become more educated in it and you start finding flaws in what other people believe, then you start getting on your high horse and start trying to like educate other people. And you think that you know more than they do. And that especially in, in the college atmosphere really um, perpetuates that because people get an ego from going to college and having a degree like they think like oh well you know <laughs> like you don't know about that but like you don't know about these terms but I went to college I have a master's degree I know what intersectional feminism is really about <laughs> Yes. There's a whole new language that I've learned yeah, in the last several years. I Words that I never even knew and words that have brand new meanings and it's all changed. I thought racism before was when you thought you were better than a person or, or a group of people or your group was better based strictly on skin color and you look down on that person. And now I learned that, no, no, it's not that. It's <laughs> systems of oppression. oppression. Well, what are these systems and where is it? And I, I do understand that there is racism in America and nobody's denying that, but what ultimately is the end game, you know? And I, there are studies like uh, after George Floyd died and our nation was gripped by uh, protests and violence and build, buildings being burned and this defund the police movement and all this uh, to bring light on the reality of what uh, some were saying were happening in the African-American communities. And I am not denying that there hasn't been police problems. I am not denying that uh, racism does not exist. I am not saying that these points are worth debate and discussion and policy changes and sober-mindedness to make sure that everybody is treated equally, that our country uh, is really what it stands for. But when you look at the practical outcome of billions of dollars of damage and property values and small businesses, predominantly in African-American communities, uh, homes going down 30, 40% almost overnight and businesses leaving. And the fruit of it, as we were go all going to take a stand and get rid of racism in our generation, polls have shown a year and two years after these uh, events and after this nationwide uh, passion that uh, polling of both African-American and white people alike has shown unequivocally that most people overwhelmingly believe that racism has had very little change. And if anything, it's stayed the same or gotten worse. And so my question becomes, therefore, is 
the methodology uh, and the methodology of the entire social justice movement in so many ways of the hostility and silencing people and canceling them and forced compulsion and forced speech. Is that really winning the hearts of people? And is it really in the end helping to lift up the, the, the oppressed or is it uh, actually causing more harm? And I, and I say that in all the areas of it, it seems like this attitude of revolution and burning things down in the end is not achieving the idealistic outcome that uh, SJWs are looking for. What would you say to that? Yeah, I agree. It's not like it's hard to even tell what the end game or what the end goal is for SJWs in their head. You know, a lot. it's a movement that's really driven by emotion. And so when you're emotional, you're not even really thinking about what you want mm. at the end. You're just having like a temper tantrum, but you're not focused on what the solutions actually are that you're seeking. And so I don't know. It's like, you know, with with all the riots that happened over George Floyd and everything, it's like, what was the like what was the end goal there? I don't really know, honestly. It's it's hard to even I like I mean and I know when I was in that mindset, I didn't even really know what what my goal was, <laughs> like why I was doing the things I was doing, you know? Well COVID stopped spreading for a few weeks. <laughs> so yeah we had a change of policy as a nation that uh mass gatherings were okay but uh you know just all these contradictions that we suffered through as a society and and what's really good for us as a whole as united states citizens irrespective of race ethnic group gender you know what's best for everybody and and how do we get get along better and uh one of the things that I noticed about you that I really admire is that you your heart and your gifting and one of your passions is to uh, help people and encourage people that are, are in bondage to, to pornography. And it's something you've spoken widely about and it's something very dear to your heart and you're helping a lot of people. And I was wondering if you could uh, talk about uh, your, your, your personal view and, and why is this such an important theme and, and why do you think it's uh, harmful to, to people as a whole in our society? Sure. So, um it's such a taboo topic, but it's, it's funny how, you know, it's a taboo topic, but at the same time, the majority of people are watching it every single day. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what the statistic is, but I bet it's a very large percentage of men and women who are watching it on a daily basis. And they're going about their days, not really understanding how this is affecting them on a psychological and physical level. And, you know, it goes so perfectly with the topic of social justice warrior with with that topic because a lot of our decision making comes down to um this this might sound a little weird but but a lot of people's decisions come down to come down to a sexual understanding of life. You know, like people who have problems with their gender identity or people who struggle with um Basically, what I'm trying to say is that pornography is something that perverts the act of sex that is the reason for why we're all here. So if you have a perverted view of sex, then your view of life is going to be very different from how it's meant to be. And when people are watching porn on a day-to-day -day basis, it's going to impact their ability to love other people. They like, you know, porn really destroys your capacity to love another person. And it causes you to see people as objects and, and it causes you to dehumanize people. And from that mindset, 
you're more likely to fall into a lot of the lies on the left. You're more likely to fall into the social justice warrior mindset where, where you're seeing everyone as pawns to fit your narrative and you're seeing every you're not seeing people as individual people the same thing happens when you're watching porn you you start to put people in boxes you start to see people as pawns to manipulate for yourself and you don't know how to love another person and you know it's a big reason why so many of our masculine and feminine dynamics are so out of balance these days, you know, especially for, you know, I think that there is a huge agenda behind pornography and its goal is to weaken the masses and it's to strip men of their masculinity and it's to strip women of their femininity. And from there, you can cause all kinds of chaos in a culture. So, you know, a society where the men are addicted to porn is, is, a, is a society where men no longer have virtue or integrity or they're, they're not connected to their masculinity. They're not connected to their sense of God-given purpose in life. And with the women, you know, it causes women to, to think of themselves as sexual objects. It causes women to, it encourages women to be more promiscuous which really leads to a lot of destructive relationships. It causes destruction of families. It's like, to me, I feel like it's the single most powerful psychological weapon that is being used on humanity right now. And so, you know, it's like, it's hard to really capture the full reason of why it's so important to get rid of in just like a couple minutes. It's like, <laughs> I, I feel like I could talk about this topic for literally hours, but... Well, we recommend everyone to follow your channel and follow you. You have extensive information. It's fascinating. And when you boil it down, like with the porn, it all comes down to like a, an orgasm, you know, and then you miss the, the most important aspect of human sexuality. And that's an emotional, physical, warm human connection with the, the person that you love and that you're sharing your life with. And the, the most vulnerable state, the most vulnerable part of your body with somebody that's your partner that you just adore and you experience that together and, and porn just dehumanizes that. It takes that all away. And besides uh, uh, reproduction, you know, the, having a child together. And so I, I, I don't know why we allow that in society in terms of, you know, anybody can go online and look at anything, even children, why we don't have like a, like there would .com and .org, why not like .xxx where the, if there's any uh, sexuality like that, that parents can block it easy or, you know, uh, systems can block it so people don't have such easy access to to that type of content if, if they want their loved ones and their family and themselves to avoid it. Well, it's definitely an agenda, you know, like there's a goal. I feel like, I mean, this is going to sound very weird, but I feel like the, I think that the desired demographic that porn seeks to reach is children, is children and the youth, you know, like at this point, I've talked to over 350 people one-on-one -on -one about their struggles with porn. And the vast majority, well over 90% of people discovered porn um, in childhood, you know, before, t before becoming a teenager. And I think that it's free and it's widely accessible for that reason, because if you can pervert a child's mind, then, you know, the dark forces pretty much has that child for life, unless they have some kind of experience that wakes them up out of it. But, you know, when you grow, when, when your first exposure to sex is by watching porn, it 
robs you of your ability to form healthy relationships and form healthy intimacy. And you don't understand what it means to love another person. And so from there, you end up um, forming really toxic relationships and you end up having a lot of I mean, this is very, now we're getting like really controversial stuff, but you know, like I've heard of people who say that porn has really changed their sexual orientation. It's changed what they find attractive. It's changed people on a fundamental level that is very hard to come back from if you, you know, depending on how deep you've gone with it. Well, it makes sense. Just classical mm-hmm. conditioning, stimulus response mechanism and mm-hmm. habituation. And then you get used to something or behavior and that becomes, uh, you know, what, what it takes to stimulate you. And then you go on and on. Mm-hmm. And so you, when we look back at like the history of Marxism and why it didn't take, and especially in the West, was uh, the institutions, the institutions of faith in God, the institutions of the family, the institutions of, of law. And if there is a, uh, an agenda for us to become Marxist, all these are tools in the arsenal to weaken faith in God, to get rid of God, to get rid of the family, to break down the relationship between husband and wife and children and parents. And, uh, and and our legal system. And so I, I do think there's an agenda. I don't know exactly what that agenda is, but all of this, uh, these cultural things do have their, their root in cultural Marxism, the slow march through the institutions and everything that's been built in our society and our families and faith. Uh, I feel, I see it every day, is that we are under attack and uh, we need to have other voices and not just have one one group of radicals, it's 10% of the population control everything. And we are all afraid of them. And I think the, the, uh, if you're listening to this program, you need to do your part and, and speak up and let, make your voice be heard uh, be, before it's too late. And, uh, you know, things can move fast. A small group of people uh, overthrew Cuba, 700 people, t- a few 10,000 people overthrew Russia, a country of 150 million at that time. And so it's time for uh, the silent majority to speak up. And that's one of the purposes of this program that not any, everybody should be put in boxes and we should be free to speak our, uh, speak our minds. And uh, so in the, in the last couple of minutes here, we have Alana, I'd like you to tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you, how they can support your great work and your vision and the things you're doing and uh, how to get a hold of you. Yeah, definitely. So you can find me on YouTube at Ahana, A-A-H-A-N-A. Um, I also have a website, ahana.us, A-A-H-A-N-A.us. And um, on my website, you'll find I have an exclusive um, member section where I upload new videos every single week. And we really dive deep into these kinds of topics. Um, but pretty soon here, I'm actually going to be launching a free support group for a month. So definitely stay tuned to that. You guys can sign up for my email list if you want to be notified of when that's going to happen. But yeah, we're going to have a free weekly support group for an entire month and hopefully help people out of this addiction, at least get them started with it. So that should be fun. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on our show. And I really respect you. I appreciate uh, you coming on the great work you're doing, the courage you have, and for you just standing in the truth and standing in the light of being a woman of principles and character in the light of uh, persecution and the things that you faced. And so I bless you and I encourage you to keep going strong and pursue the dreams that God has put in your heart and be the, the, the great woman that you're called to be. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michael. It was such a pleasure to meet you and talk to you. And yeah, thank you so much for reaching out and putting this together. Okay.